the thing I kind of realized and they teach you is you can plan all you want for things, but very rarely does the plan go exactly how you are expecting it to go. So it's almost like you plan on your plan not working. And the important thing is not necessarily having the plan, it's how you adapt to when the plan falls apart. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. I'm about to introduce you to John Syme. John's one of my closest friends. We've lived together in Toronto. He's one of my confidants when it comes to my career and life. And he's just a guy with amazing advice from his life experiences thus far. He graduated from St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. He then went off to Australia and he'll share information about that adventure. And then he has spent time now in the ad agency worlds and before that was with a startup. On top of all that, he spent 10 years in the Army Reserves for Canada. So let's get to it. John, welcome to the show. Why don't you just give us an idea of what you've been working on lately, where you're working, and maybe a project that you're excited about that you can share? Sure. Um, Right now, I'm working at a company called FCB6. It is a a digital agency that focuses on um, one-to-one marketing, so heavy use of data and CRM. And I currently work there as a, uh, a director of product and technology solutions. And we've got a lot of interesting projects on the go. You know, one of the uh, clients that I find really interesting is is one of the legal recreational cannabis clients that we have um, here in Canada. And it's a it's an interesting space. A lot of the rules are still being established. Um, there's a lot of ambiguity in the, the industry as people kind of understand how um, consumers react to it and what the regulatory... Um, framework is which, is, which is continuously evolving. So I find that uh, a pretty challenging and interesting um, and exciting uh, project to work on. And have you uh, found throughout your career, did, does um, working in that space where things are undetermined, fast moving, has that always been something you've you've liked to, to work on, that non-structured environment? Yeah, I've always enjoyed roles where uh, on one end of the spectrum, the, the job is not, not defined and it's there for, for me to kind of figure out. And then on the on the other side, maybe something that that may be defined, but has open is open to interpretation or modification. I I enjoy when things are a little bit open. They're they're ambiguous. Maybe maybe it's something new, and there isn't necessarily a playbook for it. I find those roles uh, exciting, and and uh, I find they align with my my personality. And when you talk about playbook and what you find exciting, do you remember when you started thinking about what you may want to be when you grow up or the path you may want to pursue? Did those thoughts start to get solidified, say, when you were at uh, St. Mary's University or were they earlier than that? I, I don't I don't know if I've figured out what I want to be when I grow up. And I, I don't. I don't think I ever was the type of person that kind of had a thought by, you know, in the sense of uh, this is what I want to be doing and this is the path I want to take. I've always been a little bit open to kind of trying a lot of things, but also a little bit unfocused in that in that regard too. I'm very eager to kind of take advantage of whatever's new, and uh, a lot of times that just comes without knowing what the the future holds and being comfortable with that. 
so the the only thing I can consciously remember back in in that time period or that time frame is is knowing that I wanted to probably do some sort of business program. And it wasn't necessarily out of a love of business. It was me kind of thinking that was the most flexible thing to allow me to kind of move into uh, a variety of roles. And even then, I, I chose a marketing focus uh, for the same reason. It was it was more broad. It was less defined. Whereas I felt things like finance or accounting were a little more defined and had had a path you had to follow. Uh, but that also, and I, I really hated math and numbers, so marketing was was better for that as well. <laughs> well, we know you're not alone in that camp. That's for sure. You were really the first person I knew um, that was part of the Canadian Armed Reserves or for that matter, the the Army within Canada. And you mentioned being in those roles where there's uncertainty and not knowing and that there being some risk. And you also talk about not being, you know, someone who, who might have been as focused, but, you know, I assume your, your training in the reserves is a place where you do have to be focused what made you kind of enter into that and and can you talk a little bit about what what the reserves taught you and how how long you were there yeah um so i I joined the um the canadian army reserves out of high school so i graduated high school and i put all my paperwork in kind of as i was graduating and started basic training uh in september of 2004 and uh, yeah, if, for those who aren't familiar with the reserves, essentially is in the military, but you you operate part time, so you complete training, particularly if you're a student during summers, on weekends and evenings, and that training is uh, is complemented with with exercises, kind of fit in um, during schedules, and so that means usually, uh, again, students would do that over their summer break, over spring break, uh, and people who are who are done school and employed um, will either take time off work. Uh, take sabbaticals or uh, maybe have employers with official policies around uh, reservists and training opportunities where they uh, allow them to take paid or uh, unpaid time off and and it depends but so um, yeah I I started at a high school not necessarily having a family kind of background in it it just was more something that seemed interesting there was a benefit that it, it paid for some of my school but that wasn't necessarily the reason why I signed up kind of along the lines of it seemed like an exciting opportunity something different, and I wanted to kind of give it a go. So I enlisted in Halifax and, and kind of started uh, basic training shortly thereafter. Uh, and that was done during my first year of university. Um, so I would go to school during the week and then spend uh, the weekends at a base doing um, doing basic training. And then I completed the first part of basic training uh, right around uh, exams of my, my first semester of, of university. And then uh, I completed the, the second phase of basic training, which was a little more intensive and had to be done full-time. And I did that during my summer break in, uh, in New Brunswick at uh, Canadian Forces Base Gagetown. So for the first for the first probably three years of my university career, I was a student during the week, often um, doing military exercises or training on the weekends, and then spending my summer usually at a base uh, somewhere in Canada doing further training. And that uh, completed until I was what they call trades qualified which means you've reached the basic amount of training to actually perform your, uh, your job. And then after that, I was, I was allowed to take part in actual uh, you know, taskings, which are basically contracts or jobs that you perform on a contract basis as a reservist. Um, and they can be in a variety of places across the, the country or around the world. And then after school, the other thing I had to do was, uh, was manage that with whatever civilian career or jobs I was doing as well. 
That's so interesting. So did you have any, did you have friends that were getting into the reserves and you're like, oh, that'd be cool? Or did you kind of come across that yourself? Uh, I had one friend who who joined uh, with me at the same time, a good good friend of mine who actually uh, was my best best man at my wedding. But other than that, I didn't really have any friends that were doing the same thing as me. Uh, what I did get out of it was I met a lot of friends through the reserves, uh, many of which who I'm, I'm still friends with today. But uh, aside from myself and one other uh, close friend of mine, uh, it wasn't like there was uh, droves of us um, signing up to, to do it. When, when did you finish, John? Was it just a few years ago? I uh, released what they, they call it in... Um, in 2014. So that would have been um, 10 years of service, a combination of, of part-time and full-time work, um, just depending on uh, what was going on in my life at the time. So when you're looking at, you know, life and careers, you kind of did take take a different path because instead of being out partying a lot on the, the weekends during university, you were training to be to be a reservist. What What did that offer you was there ever a sense of, hey, am I missing out on other things? Or, or did you just enjoy learning so much about that aspect of, of your life and career at the time? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say consciously ever thought about what I was missing out on on university life for at least that, that first semester. One of the things that did teach me, though, was, was time management uh, to be adaptable and in some, in some ways to compartmentalize uh, what you're going through and adapt who you are to who you are around. And um, what I mean by that is it was kind of weird to go from a Monday to Friday uh, routine at school with assignments and classwork, you know, Wednesday night drink deals at the, at the student pub to then basically at five o'clock on Friday report to the to the base in Halifax and then spend the next Friday night, Saturday and the majority of Sunday in this very, very different environment and very different structure and very different culture. So to go from student life to military life, back to civilian life, and then show up to school for your class at 9 a.m. and everybody kind of going like, hey, was your weekend? And people are talking about, you know, what parties they went to, how drunk they got, what what exams they were studying for. Uh, and then if the question kind of came to me, like, how was your weekend? Uh, there really wasn't a way to explain it. There wasn't, most people wouldn't relate to it. And I, I found you'd spend more time trying to explain it. So you just sort of adapted and you kind of would say maybe something broadly like, you know, my military, <laughs> my, I, I, uh, I was doing some training for the military, happened to be in the reserves. And you just don't really go into a lot of detail because, you know, it's, it's a, a lengthy conversation to have. And it's not that you're trying to avoid it. You just learn kind of like what is relevant to the people you're talking to and you adapt it. And so I guess, you know, the, the takeaway from that, and I, I do think it's valuable, is just the ability to uh, adapt to, to what's around you. And, you know, sometimes that means different cultures. Um, sometimes that means different things that people find valuable. And that means you have to change kind of what you talk about or um, how you empathize about what other people feel valuable uh, because it's not always the same. So that was that was the most interesting thing I found was just, like I said, uh, adapting from from 48 hours of pretty intense training to to back to five days a week at the school and then rinse and repeat for for a few months. So you bring up a few interesting points there. You know, one was compartmentalization. The other one was knowing your audience and what what people are interested in. 
what are some of the other lessons that you might have taken from 10 years? And do you find you take a lot of lessons from that 10 years and apply them throughout your career to this point? Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, the compartmentalizing thing, for example, it, it's a tricky one because I, I feel like, you know, you talk to a lot of people and they probably say that's a bad approach. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an approach where I have kind of took from it that you got to segment everything in your life and ensure there's no spillover. I guess the, the kind of way I look at it is you kind of understand the right time and right place to kind of you know, bring bring things up and how to to address them, which I think is something that is really kind of what I've taken away from from that, and that you know I think applies to to management. I think it applies to you know whether it's you're working in a job where you've got multiple projects or you've got things going on in your personal life and and how you then you know take them into your your professional life. All that I find is is really interesting, and it's it's uh, you know it's how you communicate these things. It's how you choose to position them. Um, and I, I found that was something that was pretty interesting. But the other thing, I guess, generally that I really got from it is to to be really adaptable. The thing I kind of realized and they teach you is you can plan all you want for things, but very rarely does the plan go exactly how you were expecting it to go. So it's almost like you plan on your plan not working. And the important thing is not necessarily having the plan. It's how you adapt to when the plan falls apart. And you can't always predict what happens next, but you can at least plan for certain scenarios. You can think about what's most likely, and you just you just plan on being adaptable. And I think particularly where that's helped me in my my current jobs or my current kind of career is since I work in in technology and more digital focused fields, uh, a lot of this is not always defined. A lot of it is changing on a day by day basis. And the thing I you know find interesting is I, I went to university from 2004 and 2008. And the jobs I'm doing now and the things I'm thinking about now and I get paid to do now uh, were not things that really existed then. So on one hand, you could say, well, you, you didn't go to school for it. How are you able to do it? And I think that's you know the thing, whether it's university or the military, it's preparing you to be able to think and adapt and, and make something work out of the reality of the environment around you. It would be great if you could unpack that a bit in, in your point about plan on the plan, not working out as, as you thought it would be. How do you apply that when you're thinking about maybe a hard decision you have to make? I mean, in my my industry, we deal with clients, um, which means we deal with with their budgets, their goals, their priorities, and sometimes those things change. And on our end, you know, to some degree, we're we're in the customer service business. We have to take their requests when they're not really sure what the request is. We have to f- help them figure it out. And as much as we can put together timelines and budgets and recommendations and and resource people against doing the things we need to do to solve those problems, things happen every day. Uh, Budgets get cut, priorities change, clients that we were working with move on and get new jobs and new ones come in and they come with new ways of thinking. And more times than I can count, you walk into the office thinking your day is going to go a certain way and you have a meeting, and then you find everything you thought is completely different. Uh, up is down, black is white, right is left, and you've got to just make that work. And I think early in my career, stuff like that really, really frustrated me because um, you, you, know, you can take it personally. You can think about all the work you put into solving the problem at hand only to have it all turned upside down, and you, you quickly realize that's not super productive, because it's not really going to help you kind of get to the to the next day and and solve the new problem. And I think when you kind of accept that as part of not just the job, but you know sometimes life, it becomes a little easier to to think about then 
the new problem. And, and that's really kind of what I find, whether it was any job I've had or life, it's kind of like a series of problems. Um, you're, you're going from one to the next, and not all problems are bad. They're just all things to think about. And you're, you're solving one and immediately going to go into the next. And I find, uh, you know, working with my clients is, is like that. And, hence, you know, essentially that's, that's what our job is on the agency or consultancy side is, is to get hired um, by our clients and, and paid to help them solve the problems that they have. I like how you've applied that and you've pretty much made, I think, a pretty great career thus far from being adaptable. You know, speaking of adaptability, you went to St. Mary's, you went on an exchange to France, and then you decided you were going to take off to Australia. What kind of pushed you to make that jump to Australia? And for anyone that would be thinking about after graduating university, working abroad for, I think it was a year, year and a half, any advice on, on the difficulties you faced, the challenges you faced, and you obviously must have had to be adaptable and resilient? Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't really a, um, you know, a good romantic or poetic story or anything about why I went to Australia. It was it was a lot of um, kind of pragmatism on, on my part. I was graduating university in 2008, which um, you might remember is when the big recession happened. I went from kind of a, a semester in early in 2008 with a lot of optimism saying it was one of the best times to be graduating because baby boomers were all retiring and we were going to walk in and, and take all these jobs that were being vacated. And, and that didn't really happen as everybody thought it would. So I was lucky with the reserves to have a um, contract lined up for me after graduation. And that took me to um, the end of, uh, of the summer. And then I had a part-time job in, in the city in which I lived, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, that I, I went into after that, and I was in a hotel in the in the uh, in the city, and I was a concierge there, and that was enjoyable, but it was also kind of not what I wanted to be doing for a career. And I was trying to figure out how do I get myself into a job that would be a good stepping stone to what I want to be doing, which is more marketing focused. And when I was kind of evaluating the options, I uh, I used my network um, to kind of do some informational interviews in, in Canada and around Halifax and Toronto. And consistent story I was getting was, uh, you know, don't waste your time. Uh, nobody's going to be hiring here. So I started to look abroad and really kind of identified Australia because the recession hadn't hit them as hard. It was an English-speaking country, and there was a path to get a working visa there in the, uh, the form of a working holiday visa, which was available to people under the age of 30, I think it is. So I kind of weighed up the pros of that and the opportunity, and I had a few friends living there going to med school, and they uh, kindly offered up a couch for me to sleep on for a couple of nights to get my, uh, get my bearings. So I bought a plane ticket, applied for a visa, and then I was off to Australia. Uh, I didn't necessarily have a job there, and I thought I'd be on a couch for a couple of nights. It turned out to be uh, a few months. So I had to had to make that work, and I landed in Sydney, and that's where I tried to find the job. Uh, my logic was it was the the biggest city there, and I wanted to be in marketing in some way. So I looked up all the ad agencies, I googled and researched all the different companies where there might be jobs, and I would you know spend my day. I treat it like a work day. I'd wake up and walk around the central business district and hand out resumes and get lots of rejections and uh, get more and more defeated as the as the couch. Uh, had my my uh, body weight permanently uh, probably etched into it. And then I kind of really got to the point where I realized I got to make this work somehow and started broadening my horizons to picking fruit. I didn't really want to go home because I felt that was defeat. So I was, I was willing to take any job. And 
Eventually, a, a job for a call center uh, came my way, and it was an inbound call center contracted to the federal government of Australia, offering information about a rebate, rebate program the government was offering to uh, encourage people to insulate their homes for better energy efficiency. So I, I took that job because I needed some money. And uh, I, I sat in a call center for eight hours a day um, answering questions about insulation and a federal rebate program. Um, but I was in that job for two weeks because in that two weeks, I ended up getting a job uh, offer from, uh, from Xerox in, in Australia and ended up taking a, a job more closely aligned with what I wanted to be doing in their B2B marketing department for a, for a six-month contract, which I took for the most of the remaining time I was in Australia and then traveled once that contract was over and, and came back home. Oh, it's amazing. So we both graduated at a tough time. The economy was, was obviously facing problems, and it sounds like you had to swallow your ego at times. Uh, do you have any advice based on your your time in Australia for people just graduating? I know maybe our generation as millennials and the generation below are, are quote-unquote said they're entitled, but it sounds like you really sucked it up. You were on a couch longer than you thought. And you did whatever you could to stay there and obviously experienced a lot of rejection. Was there any point where you're like, I got to go home, like this isn't working? Or did you think, hell, I've failed? I never thought I failed. I thought I was close to failure. Um, I thought if I booked a plane ticket home, that would be failure. And I, I thought as long as I stayed in the country for at least nine months, it was a win. And my criteria was I needed to be self-sustaining. I didn't want to ask my parents for money, and I didn't want to come home early. So in that time, I had backup plans. I kind of talked earlier about how the military kind of taught me to um, think of the different courses of action. So you can't can't just rely on one plan. And you know, my ideal scenario was I I get a job like the Xerox one. My backup was you know at the worst case picking fruit. And in the middle of the road would be something like a call center or applying for jobs at hotels to go back to working a front desk or being a bellman, which is something I had had experience doing. And those weren't my preferences. But in the context of failure to me being sent home early, those were better alternatives. And it did it did work out that I was actually offered a job at a Weston in, in Sydney um, around the same time I was offered the job at Xerox. And, you know, I, I wrestled with that because I knew the hotel job might be more fun, more social. But again, I was I was thinking about long term, um, felt that Xerox would be better to have on my resume. But the, the, the good thing, the thing that made me feel good was that backup was there. So even if, you know, the Xerox thing didn't work, work out, I had this this backup and it may have not been what I wanted or what I set out for. But when I set the context or the the goal at that point was just not to leave the country. It was a pretty good situation. And that's great. You had the backup plan and you were already thinking about that. And obviously, you know, Xerox is a great name to put on your resume and just shows you were forward thinking and in, in where you wanted to go after that. After being in Australia, you came back to in and landed in Toronto. I think you obviously went to Halifax and decided, hey, I want to come to Toronto new city. I believe you networked a fair bit. You had a bunch of meetings. And at that point, you had taken a job with a startup. So talk me through some of the hurdles or challenges you might have faced coming to Toronto, being Canada's biggest business city, and having most of your network maybe in Halifax. 
and then talked to me about the decision to uh, to go work for a startup where things were very uncertain. Again, this seems to be a type of theme throughout your career and something that probably makes you thrive. Yeah, no, I came back from Australia and I, I felt I had momentum. I really enjoyed living in Sydney. Uh, it was a big city. I, I love the, the hustle and bustle and the just the the feeling of being in a you know a metropolis like that. So when I came back to, to Canada, I, I kind of wanted to keep that momentum going. So I, I kind of took that Australia playbook and just put it into practice for Toronto. I had a cousin living here, and I, I crashed at her place for, uh, for a few months while I, I looked for a job. And I had to leave her place, unfortunately, before I found a job, so I found a sublet and kind of bounced around. But then, yeah, eventually after a bunch of nose on resumes and interviews that didn't really pan out. I eventually did get a job offer. I got I got one for um, the federal government for a job I had applied for there. And then at the same time, this, this one came in for an advertising agency that had an entry-level job, and then another one for, for the startup. And it was one of those when it rains at poor situations, which, you know, was stressful, but it's a good, good stress to have. And I ended up taking the startup. Uh, it paid the lowest. Uh, it certainly was the riskiest. But the founders who were starting it had lots of experience. I felt it was a really great way for me to learn. And I thought I would get exposed to things I, I probably wouldn't at a larger organizations. And I, uh, I, I did that. And I really enjoyed it. And, you know, the, the startup existed for, for two years. And we ended up kind of selling to one of our competitors for, you know, one of those situations where we had an exit. But it certainly wasn't one of those glamorous uh, Silicon Valley exits. But it was an amazing experience. And I, and I learned a ton. And I, and I don't necessarily regret it. And I often you know, wonder how my life would be different if I didn't go that path because the experience and knowledge I gained from, from doing that uh, certainly allowed me to go down a different path with the, with the roles I've been taking, um, particularly in the kind of uh, digital strategy and, and kind of consulting world. So that's interesting. I, I don't think, I think I realized you had one offer from the federal government, but I don't know that I knew you had one from an agency how old were you at that time and how what what was the decision making because you know you look at it from an outsider point of view and i'm not sure if who who you would have tapped on the shoulder for advice or if you just took your experience up to this date and said you know what i want to go work for a startup but you think about it you've got the federal government so a safe safe job steady job potentially coming with a lot of benefits you've got an ad agency that had been operating for for a few years and, and could be your route into marketing. And then you've got this startup where it's very unknown. What do you think pushed you to make that decision? The unknown? I, I like I like the risk. Um, but also, I, I, I mean, I won't lie. I like, I like the idea of the upside. Sure. I thought there might be a chance of equity. I thought there might be a chance of, you know, economic benefit for me. And, um, you know, that didn't really pan out. But... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't in the consideration. But I, I think I was also like equally enamored by the romanticized kind of version of being at a startup. It was weird. There was no, no rules. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing. I was kind of thrown into a management position at the age of 24, where I had people working for me, and I had no idea how to manage people. And I, I learned some tough lessons. And, you know, I was lucky that I had a, I had a boss that uh, was good at kind of giving me feedback and gave me, gave me second chances. But I, I, made, I made plenty of mistakes. And it was a good 
place and good environment to make those mistakes and get feedback from them. Because as confident as I may have felt, I uh, certainly it was it was a it was a sandbox for me to 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 make uh, plenty of errors and and learn from those errors. Do you think when you eventually did sell and there wasn't the Silicon Valley exit? Were you interlooking enough at that time where you were like, you know what, I gained all this experience and that was incredible? Or or was there a sense of real disappointment? There was disappointment, but I uh, kind of got got over it, I guess. Uh, there, you know, there still is. I you know, look back fondly at those days and, and think about what, what could have been, but you know, you, you never, you never know. And I, I think like what's, what's more interesting is, um, and more beneficial is, is kind of like what it did leave me with, which is, which is a lot of experience, a lot of uh, new friends and contacts and, uh, people that I still talk to, to this, this day. And that's been a really great thing to have in my life. So I'm not driving a Ferrari or anything, but I've got great people around me and, and great things I learned. And it was a really, really fun experience that some people don't get a chance to do. So that's why it's always uh, fine. Interesting when, when we, you know, these early stage companies are trying to court people to join. And I always kind of remind people out of school or, you know, considering jobs that like, this is a really viable thing. And uh, these people need great people to help kind of work in their companies and you know, sometimes the future is a little bit unclear, but for the right risk taker, regardless of what happens, you're always going to walk away with having learned something. I agree. And I think that's sage advice uh, about the benefit and risk to working at a startup. For the right person, there's definitely a great opportunity to learn and then take those learnings into the next phase of your career and life. Can you tell us a little bit about what was next, uh, your transition to the marketing ad agency world, and a little bit about those experiences, maybe some that went very well and others that didn't go uh, the way you thought they may? So after the startup, one of the things I, I really wanted to always try my hand at is working for an ad agency. It was kind of around the time that Mad Men was out, and it seemed like a really interesting thing. And again, you know, probably a theme of me being enamored by the romanticized version of, of certain things. So I was able to uh, get a job as a um, account person at a, uh, a smaller boutique agency in, in Toronto. And uh, they gave me a chance without having any agency experience. And I was able to, uh, to go in there and, and learn a ton from them and their team. And then as, as things happen, you kind of grow in the role. And particularly when you're at a smaller company, you can sometimes hit the, hit the kind of limit of where you can progress. And that kind of happened to me. And, and I was able to then move to, to a larger agency uh, publicist group in, in Toronto. So I, I went there as an account supervisor and was able to kind of uh, break into the larger agency with the, the experience I learned uh, previously. And, and that was a great experience working for an incredible uh, agency, but also incredible in, in size in comparison to what I had been doing previously, either at a startup, which was you know a handful of people, or this this boutique agency previously that was maybe 20, 20 people. Um, so go to that into a, a global organization of which you're you're one person out of um, tens of thousands around the world was really really interesting and really great. And I learned a ton then, and I was there for for close to three years and worked with some some great people that really taught me a lot about different aspects of my uh, my industry that I hadn't really been exposed to uh, previously. So things like user experience, development, you know, front end development, back end development, 
and all these very technical things that certainly round out my my knowledge and, and I was able to kind of see firsthand from from very smart people. And after that, I had done close to three years at, at Publicis and was offered a job at another another competing agency that was in a similar type of industry, more technology consulting, platform builds, um, so large large websites, and, and went there. And uh, it was a risk because it was kind of leaving this large established company to go to something a little bit smaller again, but that's the hope of growing it. And it was, yeah, it was one of those things where I think, you know, early on, um, I kind of realized it, it may not have been the best fit, the best decision. But similar to kind of what I was talking about in Australia, I didn't want to throw in the towel. I didn't want to kind of admit defeat. And uh, I really wrestled kind of being there because on one hand, I, I, I knew it wasn't really the right decision for me. But on the other hand, I, I, I felt that not giving it a proper go uh, was was defeat and um I really struggled with understanding what that line was where I felt that I gave it enough of a shot to say I did my best and it wasn't right and not feeling like I, I gave up or, or surrendered. And I kind of, uh, with the help of you know my, my wife and my family and, and friends, kind of felt that at the six-month mark, um, there was a higher opportunity cost for me staying there and not being right for them and them not being right for me uh, than it was to, to stay and make it work for the sake of making it work. So it was the first time I had ever uh, resigned from a job without having something to go to, but I felt confident that I could uh, make an income with, with former clients I had had, some contacts I had in the industry to do project-based work until I, uh, until I could figure out what, what the next step for me was. And that's what I did. And then eventually that kind of turned into my, my current role at, at uh, FCB6. But that, that gap in between was kind of me going from stepping stone to stepping stone. Each of those stepping stones was a, a project um, that would just allow me to kind of make money to, to pay the bills and do the things I needed to do. And I'd worry if I was going to get another stepping stone and one would come along. And that, that process seemed to work for the months I needed it to work. That's awesome that you were able to decide, you know, the opportunity cost was higher to stay and, and you could move on and you've always been very creative at making work for yourself. You've it been an incredible support to me as I've navigated throughout my own career. So something I'm interested in as you look at all these swerves you make, you said to me once, uh, one of your former leaders said to you, you know, John, it's sink or swim. I suggest you swim. Do you either want to comment a little bit on that or is there anything else you take to your day job or your life now where you're like, wow, that's some pretty powerful insight that I took? Yeah, no, that, that quote stayed with me. That was given to me by the managing director at, at that uh, small boutique agency I was at. And you know, five days into the job, I, I felt like I was out of my depth. I've, I felt that I had kind of faked my way into the job and I wasn't qualified to do the things that they needed me to do. I had also found out that they were supposed to be hiring a a director that I would report into and they changed their mind on hiring that director. So it was going to be me alone. And I I was petrified. So I kind of went into the managing director and said, uh, you know, I I heard that you're not hiring um, the director for me to report into anymore. And he said, that's correct. And I said, okay. And I, I kind of said, Actually, I don't even know if I was able to squeak out anything after that. I, I, I must have had a face on um, because he, he kind of then said to me, John, it's it's sink or swim, and I suggest you swim. And I, I kind of realized after that, leaving the office, I was a little bit, I wouldn't say I immediately felt better. Uh, I was probably more <laughs> scared. But I, I swam, 
and I, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of research. I called in every favor with every friend I had that was uh, better at the things they needed me to do than I was. And I, I tried to learn fast. And I think that, you know, is one thing I've been able to be good at over my career is, is learning fast to the point where sometimes I, you know, I, I like to learn about everything been told a, a weakness is, uh, is I haven't really made a decision on what to specialize in. And uh, I, I think about that a lot because I, I really do learning as much as I can and try and stay up to date. But uh, I would, I would say, um, you know, the pursuit of trying to figure everything out is not very beneficial if you're trying to specialize and become an expert in something. I, I think I suffer from fear of missing out a lot. The more I think about, okay, this is something I really like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and be an expert in it. The more I, I see there's something else going on, and the grass might be greener. I'm more interested in that, and I end up just just right back where I started. So, um, you know, that that sink or swim thing, I think, you know, worked for me because of that that pursuit of always trying to stay up to date. And I've been able to make it work. But yeah, it's um, it's something I think about a lot, whether it's the right right way to approach things. And I, I don't really have the answer. So check back with me in 10 years and see if it's still going, going well. <laughs> You're obviously an adaptable guy. You're resilient. You've taken a lot of uh, chances. And, and I've always respected your, your sound, savvy advice. So firstly, I, wa- I want to thank you for being my second guest on It's Not a Straight Line. Uh, I appreciate it, and I'm so grateful for the friendship we have and the advice you've given me. And I guess the last maybe one or two questions is, you've always been the type of person that has continued to be involved uh, and continue to learn, uh, whether it's courses. I know you're doing one right now, and I know you've also... Um, chaired and been involved with St. Mary's University alumni for a long time. So what do you have to say to the people that are coming out of, say, their undergrad about the things aside from uh, their job and about learning and, and staying involved? Do you feel that's been a, been a key part to helping you grow or is it just something you enjoy doing and doing for fun? I think it's column A and column B. It makes it easier if you enjoy it. Sometimes it's it's a little self-serving in the sense that you're looking to to make contacts, you know, and, and stay up to date in, in the city or the industry you're in. And then other times, uh, it, it is completely about, you know, giving back and trying to, uh, to do something, um, you know, for the communities you're part of, be it professional or academic or, or otherwise. And then with regard to the, the course, and uh, that's, that's part of, like I described earlier, kind of just my sometimes inability to focus and I wanted to keep learning and saw a topic that was interesting and, and found kind of a structured online course I could do to um, to do that and that's purely just just from the interest but I mean I, I'm involved with my um, alumni community here in Toronto from the school I went to in Halifax and you know in, in all honesty part of that was out of guilt I um, I went to school in the city I grew up in and lived at home throughout school, so I, I had a very different university experience. I lived closer to university than I did high school, so my, my days were kind of spent going to class then going right home again, and a lot of the people I socialized with were people I grew up with, and uh, I didn't have that that university kind of spirit or connection that a lot of other people did, so it wasn't until you know fourth year and then even after graduation that I kind of felt like I, I didn't really contribute or um, get involved in the university I went to. So uh, when I moved to Toronto and I found out there was a, a community here of alumni, I, I joined up with them and uh, a couple of years ago was was been able to uh, to kind of help help lead it. And so that's kind of how that started, to be to be very honest. <laughs> and speaking of Halifax and, and your guilt uh, and people that are graduating from the schools there, 
Do you feel any guilt to one day get back there and to help the economy and community in Halifax? Like, is there any guilt from someone coming from there and coming to the big city or, you know, is that, does that not come, come to mind at all? <laughs> no guilt. They're doing fine without me. If, if anything, uh, if I, if I ever do go back, it was because, uh, there's a great, great opportunity for me. And, uh, you know, I, I need them potentially more than, more than they need me. So I, I think it's been fantastic that, you know, the things that might've been, uh, initially the, the domain of Toronto or, or Vancouver, um, or some of these larger cities is now kind of equalizing throughout the country into these regional centers. So whether it's Halifax, Fredericton, Saskatoon, or some other city in Canada, technology, I think, has really equalized where, where you can do business and where you can be employed. And I'm, I'm really excited to see that mature even more than it already, already has. Oh, and I'm sure they'd, they'd benefit from having you back. But that no, that's a great answer. And then the last one, John, I noticed the other day, you have you par- partnered up with a, a former colleague and you're creating a blog? Is that something you've got ongoing and you hope to continue to put resources into? Or was it just fun, one off kind of thing? I mean, it, it's yeah, it's been a been a fun thing. We uh... My former colleague and I, who he he led the user experience team um, when I worked with him. I've stayed in contact with him, and we would frequently have uh, beers together and talk about our observations around, you know, customer experiences and what brands were doing. And and often we'd be like, we should write this down and make a blog out of it. And one of these days uh, we'll do it. And one of those days happened, and we did. So it's called <laughs> the, the comment card, the comment card dot blog. And it's nothing serious. It's just kind of us executing the thing we always said we'd do. And I think we have uh, three three readers a month, if that, and uh, that's okay with us. So it's the comment card dot blog. Yes. Is that right? Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, buddy. Appreciate this. There you have it. That was John Syme, and I hope you learned something valuable.